Well, hello there, ladies and gents. Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Dr. Sean Baker on for take two. We recorded, shoot, it was it was a long time ago, probably two and a half, three years ago, and you know we see each other at the conferences. We're always communicating. It's like, shoot, let's do another follow up podcast. So that's what we did. We talked about his training. He's doing like a higher fat protocol now. So we dive into that. We talk about the fact that he's been strict carnivore for the past three and a half years without needing to introduce any you know, vegetation or anything like that. So we talk about metabolic flexibility. We talk about all kinds of things. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I trust you will as well. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. And we're live. Dr. Sean Baker, how are you, sir? I am doing well, Robert. Thanks for having me. You bet, man. You bet. The last time I had you on was shoot long time ago i think i had two and a half years ago or something maybe three years ago yeah it was a while back i think i had you on the week after you were on rogan's and that was i think probably the the highest my podcast downloads ever spiked in a in a that window because you were just on rogan's (laughs) and everybody heard about this crazy carnivore diet you're on then they were just i guess googling for your name then you popped up on mine but yeah man lots happened since then yeah, it's been it's been a fun couple of years. Yeah, it's been there's definitely been a lot a lot of growth in this uh, little crazy carnival community. Yeah, I really want to dive into that because I feel yeah, like most good. So it's been fun. fun. Yeah, yeah, I want I want to dive into that because I feel like there's just so much that's you know transcended since then. So much you've learned because you've been strict carnivore that entire time now, right? Three and a half years. Yeah, three and a half years. It would so yeah, like uh, I'm trying to say, I, 2016 end of 2016 was when I started. So I'm you know closer to, I guess I'm actually getting closer to four years and three and a half. So yeah, it's been a while. What what are you? Because you're doing, uh, you're doing kind of a higher fat protocol right now, right? Right now, yeah, I just got off of a leaner, a, a very a relatively lean version of it, and now, now I'm playing with the high fat. I'm just you know playing around. I've been doing it for so long. It's kind of fun to experiment a little bit. So I'm I'm trying to get. 80% of my calories from fat, but that, that's pretty hard to do. Got to be honest with you. I mean, it's, it's, you know, particularly, you know, when you're, you limit, limit what you use for fats. And, uh, um, I have, uh, I, I successfully managed to do about 70% for sure. And, and then I, many days I'm hitting 80%, which is a pretty decent amount of fat, you know, particularly when you're eating a decent amount of protein as well. It kind of gets to where you're, you're really up there to, to get enough fat. Yeah, I feel like if you're just doing like a, a pretty strict, straightforward carnivore, you can hit 70% pretty effortlessly. But when you start going beyond that, that's when you kind of have to flirt the line of do you allow fatty coffees? Do you allow stuff like that to, to bump up that number a little? Yep, that's right. Yeah, so what I'm doing, like I said, I'm, I'm doing a lot of eggs. You know, I find eggs to be a pretty good lever, you know, for being able to, like, you know, I can, I can steer towards more egg yolks, which obviously where, you know, the fat is, and you can kind of, change that ratio pretty easily. And then I'd kind of make a, a little egg dish. I mix it with, I was mixing it with tallow and, you know, kind of blending it up. Like, yeah, I take some boiled eggs, throw it with a bunch of tallow and you can dial in as much fat as you want that way. And then I'll put some, a little bit of flavor in there. It's usually like a cinnamon and a little vanilla. And, uh, it's kind of turns into a little pudding, which actually sounds disgusting, but it's actually pretty decent. It's actually not bad at all. Yeah. The egg, I mean, eggs are freaking versatile, man. You can, you can make yep. just about anything with eggs. Yep. You've gotten just incredibly lean over the past, uh, I don't know, it seems like like past couple months, I've noticed you're just getting yeah. continually leaner and leaner. What are you doing there? 
Well, I mean, what I did initially to get lean is I, I went and uh, I ate leaner cuts of meat and uh, and then I fat cycled. Basically, mm-hmm. what I was doing was, uh, you know, anywhere between three to five days of pretty lean cuts of meat. And then I would throw in, you know, a relatively fat filled day on, you know, in between one day of that. And I find that, uh, you know, going any longer than that lean, you can, you just it's just miserable. So, I mean, I got to where I was like, you know. I found like I found a pretty good mix. I get to where I just got a little uncomfortable and I throw the fat back in and that, that seemed to help. I mean, clearly fat is important and mm-hmm. it's important for satiety. It's important for function. It's important for, you know, making sure you don't crash your, you know, you crash your metabolism, so to speak, you know, when you go, when you go too low and I wasn't really low calorie at any time, I was still probably 3000 plus calories a day at the minimum, you know, and I'm still there. And so now that I got to this lean point, I'm trying to maintain reasonably lean with with a higher fat approach and the higher fat approach is so much more um pleasant i'll totally. have to say i mean it's like you can just kind of eat to satiety and you're not hungry at all the other you know with the lean stuff i was you know i was hungry and thinking about food quite a bit and, you know try to make things that would you know like i was eating a lot of ice you know flavored ice to kind of mm-hmm. fill out that you know trying to trying to do these satiety acts just you know fill my belly up with uh volume so i didn't you know i didn't feel like i was hungry and you know we see that you know particularly in the evening when ghrelin tends to peak you know our satiety hormone ghrelin tends to go up and so you know trying to get those evening hours you know and, and not not be hungry was was a little bit of a challenge but you know i managed to do that and uh, i didn't really see any difference in performance i mean i mean as far as my ability to train i was able to train hard train well but it was just just being a little bit more hungry and you know most of us don't like to be hungry we like to be um, you know, satiated. And I, I have to say with the high fat approach, I think I can get by with uh, potentially the same or even less calories, you know, it's just because I feel, uh, you know, a little better satiated. So are you, are you tracking calories? Are you tracking these macros? Are you just doing it kind of more based off, of, you know, intuitive eating? Well, I mean, I am, I am intentionally uh, at this point, you know, cause I'm not bodybuilding. I don't really have any real sort of, you know, discrete goals I got to hit. I'm, you know, I'm making a conscious effort to, you know, up the fat, uh, but not, not counting things. I mean, I, well, I would say that I'm in the back of my mind, making sure I get enough protein. So I kind of, I, I ball, uh, I'm, I'm not down to the gram because, you know, even if I was, I'd still be off, you know, we can't be hundred percent accurate because we can't, you know, every cut of meat's going to have a different amount than what's printed on the label. And uh, so, I mean, I, I generally know, how much I'm eating relative to what I was eating before. And I, I think I do it kind of a rough way, but I'm not sitting there weighing food and, you know, plugging in things into, into a calculator. I'm just like, you know, I make relative changes. I mean, my diet doesn't really change much. I eat the same damn thing almost every single day at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to make a change. It's like, okay, well, I just, you know, I'll just cut back a little bit of this tomorrow and, and, and then see how things go. So when you notice the, an increase in satiety with the fattier cuts, do you think you were equating calories or do you think you're just consuming more calories overall with the fattier cuts? And that's probably what led to your satiety. I think it's, I think it's the fat itself. Quite honestly, I think, uh, um, I think with leaner, leaner meats, I can eat more and my appetite is, is, is higher. And as we know, the protein does have a a little bit of a thermic effect. And so you can kind of get away with a little more protein, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and eat a little bit more calories. And I think, you know, because the energy, 
you know, I got to get energy from somewhere. And, you know, once you get down to a certain level of body fat, you don't have that much on your body to, to, uh, to run the system. I think, I mean, you know, obviously you never run out of fat or you die. I mean, there's, you know, even at, even at, you know, seven, 8% body fat, you still have fat on your body that you can consume. But I think, uh, it's just a little more challenging. And so you have to, uh, you know, provide that dietary fat. It's, it just, it just does seem to have that satiating effect. I mean, I sit here right now, you know, having had a, a ribeye and uh, what I have nine eggs and a ribeye. Well, actually, I had 15 eggs and a ribeye um, just a little bit of a while ago, which is, you know, that's a decent amount of calories. You know, that's, you know, that's probably we're looking at, uh, gosh, what is that? Oh, and some extra fat. So I probably had that. That's probably a, that was probably a 2000 calorie meal for me, which mm-hmm. is not, not, not a big meal. I mean, that's, that's something I routine do. That may be my only major meal day. I might have one more snack later today. So I'll probably come in at, you know, 3000 calories today. Uh, maybe 2,600 calories today and be completely satisfied, satiated. Uh, whereas uh, on the uh, higher protein version, I was probably routinely eating 35 to four, 4,000 calories that way. So it would look like, you know, four pounds of meat a day, maybe a little more. Have you noticed any change like in just cognitive function, mental clarity? Like with, with the higher proteins for me personally, you know, I get ample protein. I don't advocate low protein, but if I'm doing just an obsessive amount of protein, I feel like less mentally sharp. I just feel I mean, my blood glucose trends higher. I just don't feel as as you know on top of things. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair to say. Uh, I, I don't. It wasn't like dramatic. It wasn't like I was a dummy walking around with high protein. You know, <laughs> I couldn't think. But I mean, I, I do feel. I think calmer and more stable, you know, and I, and I do agree with you with the protein trending upwardly, uh, you know, with, with the really high levels of protein, I think, uh, you know, talk about gluconeogenesis, there's some really interesting literature on that where it's kind of debatable as to how much of that protein you turn into glucose. I think it varies a little bit on person and, you know, situation. And I think there's some differences gone with people that have kind of diabetic pathophysiology versus, you know, healthy people. So there's some, interesting stuff with regard to that totally it's it's cool for me to see you do this because i mean i've always kind of advocated you know a higher fat ratio protocol of ketogenic dieting in regards to losing body fat and kind of getting dialed in and i've always just been crucified for like people come after me and saying hey you got to eat less dietary fat if you want to tap into your stored body fat and lose weight and i've routinely been able to get you know sub five percent while maintaining north of a 75 or 80 percent fat ratio so it's cool to see other people you know like yourself doing the same thing and and, you know excelling at it yeah i think robert i think the key is still going to be caloric intake i mean i think you know if you can still you can eat in a deficit on a high fat approach you Mm -hmm. know and i think that's uh, that's the whole point of that and i think you know and it's going to interesting because some people um, you know, obviously as a bodybuilder, you got to have a certain amount of def- discipline, but I think just eating f- higher fat doesn't necessarily mean you're going to gain, t- gain, gain body fat, you know, but if, if eating high fat allows for a high level of satiety and you, and allows you to eat in a deficit, then certainly you can get lean and then provided you have enough protein in there. And, you know, we can kind of talk about what's enough protein. Um, and you know, you do in the training, you're going to maintain that muscle mass and you're going to, you know, Still, yeah. despite eating fat, you know, it's, it's, it's only when you get into these ex- excessive caloric excesses, whether it's fats or carbs, is when you start to put on body fat, and when you see all these sort of negative 
things. I mean, you can do it. You can, I mean, you can eat overeat protein. You can overeat any macronutrient, but I mean, certainly fat and carbs are the easier ones to do. I mean, protein's a little harder, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's, and that's fun doing these experiments. I mean, clearly, I mean, you know, every bodybuilder on the planet goes low, low calorie. I mean, low fat, low, I mean, they basically go low carb and low fat and higher protein. And that's been a traditional method. But uh, um, I think you, you know, like I said, from a satiety and a hormonal standpoint, I mean, when you, my assumption is when you get pretty lean, uh, you know, you're not as miserable as the guys are getting pretty lean on, on a low, low fat approach. hundred percent agree. I mean, like when you, I mean, people have been getting lean with high protein and carbs and very minimal fat for years and years and years. I've never argued that that's possible. It's, it's been proven, but it's all about how you feel and perform in that deficit. And I've always argued that if you're, you know, deeply keto adapted and you have a higher fat ratio, your hormones are going to be more stable. Your mood's going to be more stable and it just makes it much more sustainable and enjoyable because in the grand scheme of things, you're not really in that deep of a deficit for very long. So the more you can optimize how you feel and perform during that deficit, it's just going to be better for you in the long run. Yeah. I mean, no one wants, no one wants to feel miserable. You know, you hear all these horror stories of the bodybuilders that are like they're on stage and they're, they're, they're literally it's about collapsing as they, as they come off. And, you know, some of that has to do with dehydration. And obviously there's a lot of, you know, depending on which organization, there's a lot of drug usage and diuretic usage and all that sort of stuff. And that, you know, again, I'm, I'm not a bodybuilder. I've never been, but I've been around enough lifting and stuff for the years to, to know what generally goes on. I'm sure you're, you're more tuned into that even than I am, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm just one, you know, I'm just, I guess protein is, is a one thing that, that I, I'm wondering where you find, you know, you know, what your protein intake needs to be, you know, throughout your training cycles. Yeah. Protein is tricky because it's, it's a little different for everyone. I don't, I don't ever recommend a set, you know, protein. A lot of people say, take your lean mass and, you know, do like one gram protein per pound lean mass or something like that. There's all kinds of equations on the internet and just keep that constant and then either manipulate pro or carbs or fat, depending on what you're doing. But I've had the most luck with, you know, kind of titrating protein up initially and taking advantage of that higher thermic effect of food, figuring out what your body responds best to. And then as you figure out what that threshold is, gradually taking that down, still within, you know, reasonable levels. You don't ever want to just stay chronically low on protein. But there at the very end, I go pretty low because it ramps up my low. I mean, it ramps up my ketone production. So ketones are very anti-catabolic. So I can be in a more anti-catabolic state right there at the tail end of my prep. But then as soon as that prep's over and I'm going into reverse diet, I go ahead and bump it up back to at least, you know, a one-to-one of lean mass ratio. Yeah. And I, I think that's, uh, you know, probably a pretty reasonable strategy. Um, you know, cause you just, I know you did a quote unquote kind of a, a contest prep and then the prep prep got, I mean, the contest got kiboshed because of the coronavirus. And so you're, now reverse dieting um are you you know what how low of calories did you get um you know when you got down there and then in your backup around i think i saw four thousand calories a day now yeah so i got as low as um about 1850 but then i was doing refeeds at that point and you know keto refeeds so i was averaging about 2100 calories at the at the lowest uh, and then now I just finished my reverse diet. I'm 12 weeks into my reverse diet, and I'm averaging about 4,500 to 4,700 calories a day now. Yeah, that's a decent amount of food. I mean, no one's going to complain about that. And, you, you know, I assume you're still, still maintaining a reasonable level of body fat. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, my off-season weight or my off-season body fat percentage is probably around around 10% to 12% at the high end. You know, between 10 and 12%, I feel like that's a super sustainable, healthy body fat. I'm not, you know, like I can still see abs and feathering in my quads, but I'm not so lean and in a deficit that I can't really optimize for building muscle, but I'm also not so heavy that I have no cardiovascular strength. Yeah, yeah. But shoot, man, you're, you're getting pretty shredded. I mean, I saw some Instagram pictures the other day, and you may have to rethink this whole bodybuilding thing. You could probably step on stage and do some damage. No, man, I got I got such a funky physique. I mean, I got my I got 39 inch sleeves. I got monkey grill arms. I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't have any symmetry or proportion. You know, I just don't have that. It's, it's, I've never been never been built for bodybuilding. But uh, yeah. well, you, you look damn good, man. How, how old are you now, Sean? It's okay being. You know, it's kind of fun being. I'm 53, so I mean, it's you know, it's uh, you know, I mean, for my age, I think I'm doing pretty well. You know, it's kind of funny. It's funny all the. It's kind of it's kind of funny because I get all these people accusing me of you know testosterone and, and other steroids and stuff like that. I've never you know I've, I've just never done that stuff in my whole life, and so it's kind of you know the assumption is you know you can't be you know a certain age and, and have a halfway decent physique. I mean, it's like you can't do it without drugs. And I'm like you know I'm here to say absolutely you can. You know, and I think. Uh, eating or eating a good diet. And, you know, I know, you know, whether it's keto or carnivore, um, you know, my, my, my opinion, getting, you know, high quality protein, animal source protein. I know you certainly don't disagree with, you know, where your protein comes from. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, meat is a big part of that. I think it makes it pretty much, uh, makes it a lot easier. That's for sure. hundred percent. I, I get so, I mean, I compete in the natural federations, so I'm constantly butting heads with people that are advocating for, you know, TRT and just all the drugs. So it's it's refreshing to hear someone that's advocating for just optimizing your nutrition first and foremost. Because I truly do think you get your nutrition dialed in and you train intensely, then I mean that's that's the fountain of youth right there, and you're proving that point day in day out. Well, no, it absolutely is, and this is a thing. You know, people they're so used to taking the shortcut and the easy way out that they're they're just. Uh, um, you know, they don't, they can't believe that you can do it without the, without the drugs. Cause we've kind of, you know, I mean, people forget what happened, you know, 50, 50, 60, 70 years ago when guys were strong and, and, you know, without, without doing the stuff, you know, and, and it's, it's definitely achievable. Have you ever gotten like just a, like baseline hormone panels done just to see where you're at now? Not recently. I did, you know, I did one, you know, this is, and this is a thing is I did one test right after training real hard. My testosterone was actually tested out low. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so people were like, well, you know, you're whatever you're, you're like a grandma, you're like an old grandma because you got low testosterone. And I'm like, look, I've got no clinical uh, evidence of that whatsoever. You know, it's like, I'm obviously lean, strong, you know, uh, you know, and I, everything sexual function works just perfectly fine. I'll, t- I'll tell you. Um, so I, I, but I don't really, I've not been real interested in that because I'm like, what am I going to do about it? You know? And, uh, again, I think you need to have a clinical reason to pursue that, you know? And it's like, if if I were, you know, couldn't lose body fat and was tired all the time and sluggish and mentally slow and, you know, some of the things that are clinically relevant to low testosterone, then I would be more interested in that, but I'm not. And so, there's not a real exciting reason for me to, for me to do that. And just to chase, to chase lab numbers, just for the sake of chasing lab numbers without any, any clinical difference, 
is, I mean, to me, it's kind of a pointless task. Because people say, well, you, you'd be a lot bigger if you were on steroids or testosterone. I said, yeah, it's probably true. But I mean, I'm already, you know, you know, if I look at other 53 year olds, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively doing quite well compared to those guys. So I'm not really concerned about that. Yeah. I'd say you're doing something right for sure. I, uh, I got my baseline tested before I did my prep. And then at the end, just to see how much going through a prep and, you know, having that strain of the body would do. And I, I think I dropped like 300 points total testosterone, but then as soon as you know you start bringing the calories back up, that recovers as well. That's just kind of nature of the beast with the sport of bodybuilding going into a deficit. But if you do it naturally, I mean, you, you can maintain pretty healthy levels throughout. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's something that, you know, I mean, people that don't really know, I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of nuance into these numbers and it's, you know, it's how much is free and how much is bound and it's time of day it changes and, it, and, you know, training can impact. If you had a hard workout, you can knock down, uh, you know, if you had a poor night's sleep, you can knock it down. So there's so many variables that go into that. So I'm like, you know, what does it even mean? You know, and like I said, I, I, you know, it's, it's, I really look at clinical function. And I think one of the problems we have is so many people are metabolically unhealthy and sick. You know, they've got this metabolic syndrome, they have this obesity and they feel like garbage and it's due to that. And then, you know, the doctor might screen them for low testosterone. They put them on testosterone, but really they should be doing is just fixing their health and their lifestyle and spending a year, you know, really aggressively pursuing that, um, but no one does that. I mean, it's easier just to write a prescription, send them out the door and the, and the people are happy. And then there's people that go in there and, you know, they, they intentionally tank their testosterone, you know, they, 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 you know, just so they can pass a test so they can get on the stuff and say it's prescribed and it's, well, you know, in the bodybuilding community, it's, it's, you know, people say, well, I'm just on testosterone and it's not really a drug. I'm like, no BS, it is a drug. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> you know, you're taking it, you know, like these guys that are, you know, obviously stronger than 99.99% of the population, you know, they're more muscular saying they're, they're, they need it to, to, to maintain their, their, their strength. And it's not, I mean, it, it just to call it for what it is. It's a drug and it's helping me achieve things I couldn't on my own. But uh, to say that it's some um, disease is, is wrong. Yeah, totally agree. It's, that's a, that's a sensitive subject for a lot of people. A lot of people, you know, are not honest with their using of it and abusing of it. And, I've always just said, you know, teach their own, do whatever you want to do. But I take pride in the fact that I haven't gone that route to look for the shortcuts. Because, I mean, you're cutting yourself short in a lot of areas that people don't realize at the onset. Like, it sounds really sexy on the fr on the front end, but they, ha they have no, they pay no attention to the, the long-term, you know, implications. And then, honestly, just like what it do does to your mentality. Like, I can... I can take pride in the fact that I'm I'm not taking a shortcut, and you start taking a shortcut with one thing in life, and it just it just starts bleeding into other aspects of your life, and that's just something I don't want to start, you know. Yeah, I mean I'm the same way. I mean I'm I'm you know like I said I've done this. I've competed in gosh you know uh, strongman competitions, powerlifting, rugby, you know uh, track and field, Highland Games, you know rowing, all these sports, and I've I've, I've maintained a high level of work capacity. I've been healthy. I've never been injured, you know, to any significant degree. I, you know, I, I've never had like big ups and downs as far as strength and fitness goes. Uh, and I maintain it. I mean, it's like, you know, I don't, I'm not dependent on some drugs to maintain my muscle mass. And I think that is, uh, you know, a nice thing, you know, having done this for, I mean, I've been training now for you know, 40, yeah, 40 years now. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's like, I'm still going strong. I'm still doing fine. Yeah, that's the main thing. 
I want I want to pick your brain about this. It's funny because you know you and I have both been in the keto community for long enough now that we kind of see these ebbs and flows, and we see these new, you know, hot ticket items pop up, and you know, carnivore, keto, all these new buzzwords. I feel like right now it's it's metabolic flexible. That's that's what's in the sunshine right now. Is it's it's given the halo, and it's it's kind of had this weird effect in, in that people feel their performance is automatically going to be, you know, massively improved if they can have this dual fuel between carbs and fat. And you and I both have maintained this pretty, you know, regimented and strict, like we don't need the carbs, we just perform really well with what we're doing. Uh, so I'm curious to kind of get your take on that, what you've noticed, and not really what you've experimented with because you haven't really had the carbs, but you've clearly had no no uh, adverse effects from not having the carbs. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, as you and I both know that we still still make glucose. I mean, we still mm-hmm. have glucose in our system. It's not like we have none. We still have glycogen. I mean, it's not like we have none. And so uh, this belief that you only burn fat on a ketogenic diet is obviously, or, or you only utilize fat on a ketogenic diet is obviously not grounded in, in science. I mean, there's people say, I'm a fat burner. Well, you're still you're still using glucose. And, and even if you're on a, you know, a carb ingestion diet, you're still using fat for some 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 amount of things. And it's just a relative amount of the fuel you're using. You know, so you're always running on some sort of blend between ketones, free fatty acids, and and glucose for your energy needs. And you know, that the, those uh, requirements can be up and down regulated by by pretending by particular cell types. Um, but it doesn't mean you can't like when you hit top gear, uh, training wise, when you're in a glycolytic and you know a glycolytic producing or, or requiring exercise. You can still do that, particularly if you've been long-term adapted to this stuff. And I didn't, I never had any issue. Uh, you know, I mean, when I was breaking world records on that concept too, um, which was clearly a glycolytic activity, um, I had no issues whatsoever. You know, I mean, I, I was a little able to literally able to break the world record. Uh, and so clearly without carbohydrates and then, uh, you know, recently I started playing with some of the distance work and I'm able to put in, you know, an hour long session, you know, I can row 12 miles, you know, on a rowing machine, you know, an hour and 20 minutes, uh, with, with no carbohydrates. And so, I mean, I mean, you know, at at what point do you say, you know, this is required? I mean, we just, uh, I just interviewed a a guy, Dan Sorensen, who's a, who's a NFL Super Bowl champ. He's on a carnivore diet doing great. So the performance has never been better. So he's doing it without carbs. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, another professional athlete, a guy from the, WWE, Eric, uh, I guess he's a Viking-like guy. And the w- same thing. All these ads come out and saying, hey, look, I feel wonderful without the carbohydrate in my diet, and my performance has not suffered at all. Still there? Yeah, I lost you there for a second, but okay, I got you. Okay, sorry, sorry, yeah. No, yeah, I, so I, I totally I agree. I feel like, you know, there's there's so many instances that, of people that are just keeping it super strict and they're not seeing any decline in performance whatsoever. I, I do think so much of it hinges on one's level of adaptation. I feel like a lot of people, they have this skewed perception of what actual adaptation is. They don't give it enough time or they're constantly eating more trace carbs than they recognize. So they never really tap into their full potential with it. And then they just assume that it's not for them and they're seeing a decline in performance. So they automatically go to what they are familiar with. But I feel like if you actually get it dialed in and optimized, there's there's 
zero zero drop in performance. If anything, your you know your inflammation goes down, your re- your recovery is better, so you can train more frequently. I mean, I've only noticed an uptick personally. Yeah, it's the same experience I've had, and I, I think that's the point. Is you know, and I played with you know over the years. So I was on a ketogenic diet for for you know three years. I'm arguably on it now with with within the context of carnivore, but. I played with targeted ketogenic diets. I played with, uh, you know, cyclic ketogenic diets where you bring the carbs in. And I really never noticed an improvement. And only the only thing I saw, and it may be a function of my age, you know, I, I just saw, I just didn't feel as good. I mean, I got aches and pains. I had inflammation, you know, when I added the carbs back in. And so it was just, for me, when I was like, going out to train if my knee was sore i didn't really want to squat that much but now when i train you know i don't have those soreness and, and you know pains and my recovery is just tremendous which i think is uh you know allows me to train hard every single time i walk into the gym uh and, and often every single day without needing to take really any time off which is something that you know you hear as you know oh as you get older you need more recovery time you need to train less frequently and i've not found that to be true for me i can train hard every single day and i as someone who enjoys training, I mean, I, I, I really look forward to training. I mean, I think about it, you know, the, the night before and a lot of what I, what I'm doing right now, I'm doing, cause I'm not competing in anything currently. So it's mostly just fun and kind of intuitive stuff and kind of making sure I check a certain amount of boxes every week. And, uh, I, I just feel so good all the time that my training and my ultimate new performance is, is a reflection on that. Yeah, speaking of training, where where do you train? I see these these stories on your Instagram. It looks like you're in horse stalls or something. You got the seventies rock and roll blaring, and you're in a horse stall. Or what's going on there? Yeah, so the house we bought uh, last year was on a kind of an equestrian property, you know, equestrian neighborhood. And mm-hmm. so uh, the people before us, well, I mean, I guess two owners ago had some horse horse stalls and a little uh, horse turnout, which looks like a I like to call it the gladiator pit because it's like a little enclosed area around circle area and it's just dirt and so for me i'm just like old school i don't mind the dirt and the grime and the hard work and so i just kind of run around and do stuff out there and uh, get out in the sunshine and then my power rack and some of the other stuff you know like it is in the, in, the, in what used to be the horse stall and so i'm kind of a big animal anyway so it works well for me <laughs> i love it man i love it i've, I've got uh, it's kind of crazy because this whole covid thing shut all the gyms down and everybody's just been running around not having a clue what to do and i feel super fortunate because i've got the compound here you know the keto brick warehouse and i got my own little gym set up but it's all just the basics like dumbbells barbells i mean pretty rudimentary stuff and i feel like when you just double down on that you don't need all this fancy equipment that people are always you know striving to to learn how to use yeah i mean you i mean again outside of you know it depends on what your sport is you know if i was uh, running the 100 meter hurdles it would be hard to do that here but i mean or 110 hurdles, I guess, whatever that is. But um, I, you know, for me, I mean, I, I spent, you know, a, a decade putting together a gym and buying equipment and, you know, all that stuff over the years. And so I've got a really good variety of stuff so I can train, you know, a lot of things, you know, and sometimes you have to be a little bit creative, but you can get, you know, 95% of what you want done. And then sometimes, you know, like I, you know, you if, if you've got bodybuilding specific things, you can you know, you might find a gym has a few items that you can't replicate at home or it'd be very difficult to do. But, you know, having a nice facility at home is definitely a blessing because it's, you know, it's also a time saver because instead of having me jump in the car, drive 20, 15, 20 minutes, you know, go to the gym and then some of the equipment may or may not be available because somebody else is using it. And, you know, you know, the deal. And so at home, 
you know, the hours are great and, and, you know, the, the crowds are done. It's, mm-hmm. you know, so, it's hard to be. Sometimes my girlfriend is, is in there training. Yeah. So it's pretty good. The other thing is, you know, you, you know, you miss a little bit of the social side and the motivation side. Sometimes having people around will motivate you a little much, but I've been, I'm, I'm pretty internally driven. I think most people that have been lifting for a long time don't really need that external feedback. Most of us have kind of, it's in our mind and, you know, it's just, it's part of who we are. And, you know, I, I imagine, you know, in, in 30 years from now, I'll still be training as an 80 something year old and you'll still be training as a, I don't know, 60 something year old or 50 something year old. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you just keep going. It never goes away. Yeah. It becomes just a part of the day, part of the routine. So what about like fasting and anything like that? Like, do you ever do any, any extended fasting with carnivore? Or are you keeping that pretty much just consistently eating every single day? Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I mean, I do a fair bit of, uh, you know, I guess you call it intermittent fasting or, you know, within a 24 hours. But again, that's mostly not really by design. It's just I'm not hungry. And so I just eat, you know, I, I a lot of days I'll train fast in the morning. I might do two a day workouts like today. I'll do a two a day. Um, so I, I often, you know, will have a maybe 14 to 16 hours, you know, between dinner and, and my first meal of the day. Um, pretty almost every day. That's pretty, pretty common, uh, for me to do, uh, you know, sometimes I'll do a one meal a day type of thing. I did one 48 hour fast one time, just out of curiosity. And, um, I didn't really, you know, find any great, you know, great reason to do that for me. I mean, I think it's, I think there are reasons for people to want to do that, particularly people that have a lot of weight to lose or are working on some kind of metabolic issues. Mm-hmm. There's probably more utility. I think for athletes, particularly strength athletes or people wanting to build and maintain muscle. Um, a lot of extended fasting may not be the best thing. I mean, I know there's people that talk about growth hormone, you know, increasing, but I mean, at the same time, you know, you need that mTOR stimulation uh, to, for, you know, particularly when the, the you know, and, and uh, this is one of the controversies around protein with mTOR stimulating protein, particularly leucine and to a lesser extent arginine. Um, people are worried about that, but again, that's in the if it's in the context of weight training, that's completely appropriate because you want to maintain your 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 muscle mass, and so getting you know an adequate amount of protein on a, on a generally on a daily basis, I think, is pretty important. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you know I'm not really a huge advocate for fasting for the sake of fasting. I'm actually starting a fast today, but I haven't fasted in over a year. I feel like it can be advantageous to do a you know a longer fast every so often just to kind of wipe the slate clean and start fresh so to speak but i see so many people just constantly jumping to you know a fast to lose a few pounds of water weight only to regain it after they start eating again and i feel like it kind of just creates this negative connotation around it it can be again it's a tool and like any tool that can be used inappropriately you know if you use a hammer to to screw in a screw it's not going to work and so uh, and it's like anything, diet, exercise, they're all tools and they're, you know, you can use them wisely and, you know, in, in a, in a strategic and in, in a targeted and fa- a tactical fashion. But, uh, at the same time, there's a lot of people that do it, you know, kind of inappropriately. hundred percent. So with you being strict carnivore now for three and a half years, four years, what, what is something that you've found to be true now that wasn't necessarily in line with your way of thinking when you first started like what what have you learned to be like the biggest most profound advancement in your carnivore journey so to speak because you're pretty much on the cutting edge of it 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like I said, um, I think for most people, it seems to work pretty well. I think for most people, um, you know, most of the advice that I've seen and, and kind of promoted has been generally pretty, pretty effective. But I do see people where um, you can you definitely it's not an all you can eat buffet. It's not a unlimited, you know, you're it's you know, I've seen people gain weight, get fat. Um, I've eaten more than I probably should have at times, you know, just because, you know, some of it's kind of ego and some of it's, uh, you know, not really, uh, you know, eating beyond satiety is, is definitely doable. And, you know, you can get the negative. I mean, just like any other diet, if you eat too much, you're going to, you're going to get maintain, you know, gain body fat and, uh, and have some of the metabolic consequences of overeating. And so I think that's, it's still possible to do. It's harder to do than, 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 some other diets, although, you know, it's kind of interesting. There was a study, uh, I guess, I don't know if it was a full study or a pilot. It was preprint. Kevin Hall came out showing a plant-based diet versus a quote unquote animal-based ketogenic diet and saw that the people on the, uh, you know, the satiety was better from a caloric standpoint. I fiber plant-based. So again, that probably has to do with perhaps uh, the, you know, not very good palatability and, and not having other options available uh, and, you know, being locked in a metabolic ward. I mean, those all things are, are potential reasons why that, that was occurring. But um, I, I definitely think you can you can overeat. And I, I do think you can overeat fat. I mean, this is the other thing. You know, people think that, uh, uh, you know, just because you're eating a high fat percentage doesn't mean there's a, there's no upper limit to the amount of fat you can eat. You know, it's it, and, and also, you know, things like dairy fats, I, I find to be problematic for many people. That is to say, it's harder for me to uh, overindulge in, you know, sort of fat that comes on meat, you know, fatty meat versus, you know, dairy, you know, when you take dairy and I'm, you know, particularly if you add a sweetener to it, you know, if you start making a, uh, you know, a, you know, a heavy cream with some stevia in it or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can just overconsume calories that way. So I think that's clear. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting yeah. because I mean, like you said earlier, there's no way to know with a hundred percent degree of certainty how many calories or how many macros are in any given thing you eat. But it's it's so blatantly obvious that the amount of calories you consume is going to have a pretty profound impact on your composition, whether that be for better or worse. Um, it's just it's just funny because I feel like Carnivore was given a halo initially, saying that oh, you cannot overeat meat, you'll never gain fat, which just does not make any sense whatsoever but it's it's nice to see people maintain a strict carnivore diet and gain fat to prove those people wrong so that people are just more aware of how important calories are yeah i mean i've never been in the calories don't matter camp i think i think uh, and i I do think that there's you know it's not only calories either i mean i think there's a little you know everybody that talks about everybody that talks about calories you know the people that are it's all about calories will concede that protein you know, protein has a different metabolic effect. And so mm-hmm. if you're going to make that concession, uh, then you have to say, well, wait a minute, you know, there's a thermic effect. There's, you know, there's uh, adaptive thermogenesis, there's heat production that, that, are, that are dependent upon the macronutrient composition. And then maybe even some degree to the micronutrient composition. And so we have uh, different absorption rates of food. You know, we have, uh, um, you know, a whole bunch of things that go in just behind what's on your plate and what actually gets absorbed and what actually gets done to it in the body. And so, but at the end of the day, you know, if we look at the big picture, sure, you know, you can't overeat calories on any diet. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Even on a ketogenic diet, 
uh, on a carnivore diet on any any diet there is. And so I, I've you know I've said that all along from the beginning. I, I will say it's harder to eat more eat to the point where you're you're gaining body fat on some diets versus another other diets. And then you know there's you know there's you know outside of just gaining weight, there's a health component. And, you know, just eating a diet of, you know, if it fits your macros, junk food is not a healthy diet. And there's, you know, there's people that are some, somehow misled to believe that. I mean, I don't think the major proponents of the, if, if, it, if it fits your macros, are telling people to go out and eat, and eat, you know, junk. But there's some people that interpret that way. You know, I can eat whatever I want. Just, you know, maybe I'm going to eat whey protein and Twinkies, yeah. you know, and, 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 and you know, they're going to, they're going to somehow think they're going to have a, good health and, and good body composition, which I think is, uh, you know, maybe one of those, you, I mean, you might be able to, you might be still able to have decent body composition, but you're not going to have long-term good health with that. hundred percent agree. I mean, it all matters like calories, hormones, you know, metabolic function. I mean, it all, it all adds to the, the, the end result. Um, and I do think that there is kind of an upper caloric threshold. So like calories are not created equal if you're doing a predominantly carbohydrate based uh, you know, food versus predominantly high quality nutrient dense protein animal sources. I feel like you can probably get away with a little bit more calories without the adverse effects, uh, you know, in like a predominantly carnivore keto approach. That's just what I've personally found, you know, having eaten a bunch of carbs in the past versus what I'm doing now. But it definitely all has an effect on the whole. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting. What about, uh, you know, kind of seeing how things have progressed over the years and as more information and scientific literature has come out about the efficacy of carnivore, have you noticed any less pushback from the vegan community or has that just gone rampant? Uh, I don't think there's been any, well, it's a loaded question. It's pretty constant. (laughs) It just, it's just kind of, it kind of, you know, it is, it's a rotation. There's like, there's like, the champion that's going to complain and there's a new one that's complaining about it. And I think the interesting thing is, you know, with, with the vegans, a lot of them just stop being vegans. And so the ones that are vocal for a year, they, a lot of them end up following me and say, thank you. You changed my mind. And now I'm no longer a vegan. So, but, but they're always replaced by somebody new that's going to come out there and proselytize and, you know, try to save the planet with their, with their misinformation or misguidedness. Um, I do think, you know, more and more people in general are starting to recognize that, you know, meat is not evil and a meat-based diet can be, uh, can be very beneficial health, including many physicians. You know, we have this meter X platform. We've got almost 150 physicians on that platform that are all proponents or, you know, at least accepting of of meat-based diets is potentially helpful. So we are making, you know, we're, we're definitely making a change, particularly within the low carb space, you know, where, where, you know, people have already sort of, sort of already signed off on the, uh, I don't necessarily line up with the mainstream or the prevailing nutritional dogma. So we've already made, you know, huge inroads in that community. And so it continues to, to evolve as we're seeing, like I said, you know, guys like Joe Rogan doing it and saying, Hey, I felt really good. And that, that opens people's eyes. And now we got more and more, you know, high level professional athletes that are doing it. And so I think we're just going to continue to see uh, further and further uh, acceptance for some people, some people, you know, people are ideologically opposed to eating meat are never going to, uh, you know, accept it as a, as an option. They're going to fight tooth and nail for that because it's against, you know, what they believe is they're kind of almost with a religious like fervor. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you know, and you know, we've got a study coming out with Harvard University that's studying, you know, it's 3,000 plus carnivore dieters. It will come out later this year, I'm assuming, and uh, that's going to have an impact. So I, you know, I think it's here to stay, and I think it's going to be um, a tool that uh, you know many people utilize for their health. Uh, and this is, you know, again, this is not anything new. This has been doing it. This is every. 20 years or so it's come out, you know, these carnivore type diets, you know, in, in my book, I talk about the people that came before me that promoted basically the same thing. And they all had the same results. Everybody got healthier or many people got healthier. And so I think, you know, with the internet, with social media, the exposure potential is just extremely high. And uh, that's going to be, I think, I think that's really the the difference between now and you know, 50 years ago when Blake Donaldson wrote his book, you know, Strong Medicine, or you know, when Atkins came out in the 70s, or some of these other things. And, you know, in the keto, and obviously carnivore fits nicely within the keto community. And a lot of people use keto as a kind of a transition point to go to carnivore. And some people go carnivore, and then they go back to, you know, kind of meat-based keto, or meat or keto carnivore, or carnivore keto, or whatever. And there's a little hybrid thing going on there. But I think meat has just in general been more accepted in the, certainly in the low carb community as, as, a, as a vital role. And so now we have people that are kind of helping to defend it because it's obviously under attack. Yeah. And I think a lot of, you know, the, the social media and just the internet as a whole has kind of made this, you know, push towards regenerative agriculture and, and all the more sustainable, you know, positive ways to produce meat at scale has, has grown in popularity too so people can look at consuming meat in a in a better light than just imagining a bunch of feedlot cattle sitting there you know just ready to be butchered uh i mean i think that is definitely a step in the right direction too because people can just see that you know it doesn't have to be this black and white there's 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 positive and there's right ways to do this and this can be a good thing for the environment and the animals that are involved with it yeah, I mean, and that's a wonderful point, you know, and the, and the thing is, you know, when we listen to the folks that are plant-based advocates, they'll say, you know, well, you know, even if regenerative agriculture is good, uh, we can't do it. We can't feed people. It's not sustainable. There's not enough land. Well, that's turning out to be not the case. It's mm-hmm. turning out that, yes, there is enough land and yes, it is scalable. And yes, we can feed everybody as more and more people do it and they demonstrate that and they, they show that their land is you know, 300%, 500%, 800% more productive than what it was using standard, you know, commercial uh, industry, you know, uh, you know, ranching techniques, you know, as they get into these, you know, adaptive multi-paddock grazing operations with stacked uh, enterprise with multiple animals in the same, same acreage, uh, they can produce a heck of a lot more food with, with, without using the pesticides, without using the herbicides, without, without using, uh, significant additional water inputs, um, you know, and, 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 and not only that, they're, they're sequestering carbon, they're a net, net carbon sink. They're improving the quality of the land. They're increasing biodiversity. Uh, I mean, that is where I think we have to go if we're going to, if we're going to have a sustainable food system over the next, you know, several decades, as we you know, see an increase in population, uh, if that happens, um, you know, as opposed to, what we have now, which is just a, you know, a hugely degradative uh, agricultural system where we have, uh, you know, crop monocrop uh, cultures that uh, destroy the soil, deplete the soil, 
um, you know, and that's, you know, where our food is coming from largely, and it's not really sustainable. It's, 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 it's uh, fossil fuel intensive, it's pesticide intensive, it's herbicide intensive, and those things all have a negative you know, consequences to the environment. So, uh, you know, the way forward really is a regenerative agriculture, regenerative animal and plant agricultural hybrid technique. And, and that requires animals. There's no way not to uh, utilize those guys. Yeah, totally, 100% agree. And I mean, if you just start diving deeper into that, you know, that, that becomes more and more clear. Uh, it just takes a little bit of legwork. I mean, it's it's becoming more known, but you just have to dive a little deeper than what mainstream media wants to throw at at you at first glance, you know. So hopefully people keep learning in the right direction there. So I want to know a little bit more about this MeetRx platform. I've heard you talk about it before. I've checked it out Uh just kind of spend this last little bit here talking about that and promoting yourself here. I want to spread the word. Yeah. So meter X, you know, my, uh, someone, pro, uh, so uh, my partner, uh, her name is Maserostomy is a, uh, she is an entrepreneur and a uh, data scientist in Silicon Valley. And so she approached me uh, and she's, she's been on a carnivore diet now for, for, for quite a while. And she approached me as kind of, wanted to partner up with me and help me develop a platform. And so we kind of came up with this sort of idea and we're still evolving. We've got a lot long ways to go as to what we want to eventually accomplish. And we've got our sights set on some really big, big stuff. But um, what it is currently is it's a platform, you know, first of all, it's a huge resource for anybody that wants to learn about or implement a carnivore diet. We have the largest resources in the world. I mean, we've got, you know, literally hundreds upon hundreds of success stories people look at. We have research articles. We've got an 8,000 plus you know, research library of articles that support, you know, various aspects of what we're doing. So all the science in the world you can want. We've got all kinds of articles and, and publications that you can utilize all compiled in one area. We have, um, you know, multiple, multiple daily meetings, you know, through Zoom, which are all video conferences that, you know, hundreds of people can join at one time, um, you know, of all kinds of support meetings, you know, whether it's diabetes, you know, it's whether it's addiction, whether it's uh, eating disorders, whether it's weight loss or mental health issues or, you know, any of those topics. And then I have a meeting every single morning with the members anywhere between, you know, 40 to 100 people will show up at that every day. Um, we have, you know, uh, you know, coaching, you know, for people that need support, not everybody needs support. You know, you know, you can tell people just eat a bunch of meat and drink some water and you're fine. Mm -hmm. Some people run with that and they do fine. And other people really struggle with trying to implement it and they need support. And so we have a coaching platform. We've got, you know, hundred plus coaches now that have been certified that, uh, you know, people can sign up for We're really, really, I want to keep this because it has such a profound impact on people's lives and improving their health. Uh, I want to keep it affordable and accessible to many people as possible. So we made the, you know, the, the, the coaching sessions are, you know, they're 18 bucks for half an hour. I mean, they're just incredibly cheap. You know, we, we, we just, you know, we have people and people are doing it because they love it. They're passionate about it. It's changed their life and they want to help other people. And quite honestly, they're doing it anyway. They're, they're, they're talking about it all mm -hmm. the time because they can't stop. So we're like, you know, we're going to get you guys trained and you're going to, you can do this and help people and, and, you know, make a little bit of money kind of as a part-time type of situation, kind of like an Uber driver might do. So we're, we're building that up. You know, we've got a fasting platform. We've got, we'll probably end up with a keto platform. Uh, so we're trying to, we're trying to, 
give people an alternative to uh, the standard way people treat lifestyle, you know, lifestyle issues and chronic disease. And so if you can go there and get your, you know, your health, your nutrition, your fitness, your sleep in order, that's going to have a far bigger impact than if you go to the physician and you get 15 minutes of being shuffled through an appointment and totally agree. handed a pill. So we're trying to give people an option for that. So it's going to be kind of a, an alternative for people that it's want to want to obtain help but not go through you know medical care you know and i think there's a difference between that i love it i love it it's it's grown like crazy since when when, when did you launch that so we launched it in november uh so we're you know right around a little over six months and yeah we've grown to you know we've got uh you know several thousand members now i think we're up into i think we're up into about four thousand members right now and growing every single day we, we pick up 20 30 40 50 people a day typically so uh you know it's growing pretty rapidly and you know it's it's it, and people are enjoying it i mean they really like to support you know we've got with social media things like facebook the platforms one are limited uh in their interaction and two they're kind of you know we're seeing more and more direction in these platforms letting people talk you know they're kind of directing what people are allowed to talk about you know there's some a little bit of censorship going on which you know you know i, I don't know where it's going to go but we're already seeing you know it may be that in two years from now eating meat will be considered a you know or promoting eating meat may be considered a censorable offense you know or something like that and be sad times you know yeah, that is going to be that's going to be sad time. So we're kind of pushing back, and we have a little bit of a you know a little bit of I guess a political aspiration in the fact that we want to influence policy when it comes to nutrition and health. So we have people like mine that are doing that, you know, and so that is uh, you know where we're where we're going. And, and like I said, we've got a lot of you know technical plans beyond this to to expand into into other other avenues and and become and and make this more powerful. And I think. You know, we're going to get there over the next few years. Yeah, I think, I mean, whether they're keto or low-carb or carnivore or whatever that may be, it's definitely all a step in the right direction. So just simply getting that, that message out there and amplifying it. I mean, shoot, that, that's the good fight right there. So if there's anything I can do, just let me know. Well, yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. Like I said, I'm, you know, we'll maybe get you in on the, in one of our meetings to t- talk to our crowd. That'd be great, so. Hundred percent. And what's what's the uh, the website link in case people want to check that out? So it's it's just MeetRx. So RX like the prescription sign. So MeetRx.com. So that's that's where you can go there. And then you know obviously I'm well my social media in Instagram is Sean S H A W N Baker one nine six seven on Instagram. Twitter I'm at S Baker MD. And then I've got a little YouTube channel which I. You know, I I, uh, I put up a video pretty much every day. So I mean, I'm you know my my, my social media is slowly moving along. I've got about three hundred thousand you know people in my social media followers. So you know, kind of making progress there. And, and you know, it's been it's been fun. It's been entertaining and somewhat a little bit controversial. Hey, well, you gotta <laughs> anything in life worth worth going for is gonna end up a little bit of controversy. But that's when you know you're on the right track because you're making something happen. Indeed. Yep. Well, shoot, Sean, keep doing what you're doing. Let's uh, let's regroup sometime. I'll come train the horse stalls with you. That sounds good, man. All right, Robert. <laughs> Take Thanks care. So much, man. Have Appreciate a good one. it.